Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Kevin Davey. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, everybody, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn about some of the great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Today, I spoke with the CEO of KJ Trading Systems, Kevin Davey. We discussed Kevin's path from being a discretionary trader in the late 80s, calling orders into the futures pits, to becoming a systematic algorithmic trader. He explains his process for building an automated strategy. We talked about walk forward testing, back testing, strategy optimization taking a trade idea and turning it into an automated strategy. And last but not least, we discussed discretionary traders taking one of their top setups and automating it. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Kevin. I read a lot about you, but this is actually the first time that you and I are on a call together. I don't know a ton about your background just from what I read very interesting, got into algorithmic trading really early on. And so I'm, I'm really just kind of curious about your backstory. So let's just start there. How did you get involved in trading and then eventually involved with algorithmic trading? I started out trading, this is way back in the probably the late 80s or early 90s. Uh, I got um, a direct mailer. This is when Still, you'd get a lot of advertisements in the U.S. mail, and it was from a outfit in California where the person was basically showing a, a head and shoulders type pattern and said, you can make so much money trading this, and he showed uh, sugar and how if you kept buying on the way up in sugar, you would make tons of money. And, oh, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And so I read that, and here I was uh, just out of college, you know, just trying to get my feet set and doing investments and that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, this is a great way to, to get rich quick, you know. <laughs> uh, little did I know, right? <laughs> but uh, that kind of started me on the way. And the, the interesting thing was uh, as part of – this person's course, which I bought, he actually said, well, watch it for, I think, three months and record all the trades. And, and if you don't make money, I'll give you your money back, even if you're just paper trading. And so I did that and I was pretty uh, diligent about recording all the trades and, and you know, doing a real-time test, but it was simulated. 
and uh, it didn't work. I got my money back. But by that time, I was kind of hooked. And that whole process of just evaluate, looking at a chart, looking for a, a certain pattern, evaluating it, just kind of got me going with uh, like what they called at the time a system, systematic or mechanical type trading approach where you basically come up with rules and then you just follow the rules. And that really appealed to me because I have uh, an engineering background. Uh, I also have an MBA. So I, I have a finance type, you know, a numbers type background. I like, I like numbers and coming up with rules to trade by just kind of appealed to me because you can go back and then look in recent history. Hey, did this pattern occur? What happened when this pattern occurred? And you can do things like that. So that's, that's kind of how it all started. Uh, and then obviously at first, way back when I really didn't have the computing power to do those kind of things, um, like back testing and, you know, being real rigorous with that. So I did a lot of it actually by hand. And I still remember calculating moving averages every day by hand because I'd get the, the daily newspaper and I'd read the uh, commodity prices and update them. And, you know, I did things by hand. I was doing like a moving average crossover type system. And it just kind of went from there. It got more complicated. Uh, you know, eventually I got TradeStation to help me do back testing. And uh, it's just kind of been a continuous journey ever since that point. But uh, go way back when, probably uh, 25 years ago, I was doing at what's called algo trading now, although I wasn't doing it exclusively. I was also looking at other things too. And uh, it took a while before I settled on algo as being the best way to go. Let's talk a little bit about the beginning part of when you started to learn about trading to eventually moving into algo. And one of the questions I was going to ask you was, what were you doing in college? You know what your degree was. And so you already had a general sense of what markets were, right? A little bit. You a know, when bit. I first when I first got that uh, direct mail piece, I didn't even really know about the futures market. Uh, you know, it, it was like, what, what's this? You know, I knew about stocks and, and that kind of thing, but but futures and the leverage you can get with futures was all brand new to me. So it uh, that's kind of what uh, got me excited about it because. You know, just out of college, uh, I was working full time, but I didn't have any kind of real savings, so it didn't have, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars to invest in the futures market, uh, and so I was looking for a way to get in cheaply and still invest. And with futures, you know, you can get in fairly uh, inexpensively, although that's kind of a double-edged sword because that <laughs> leverage can really work against you. Yeah, exactly. You can get in cheap, but it can be real expensive. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk about what markets you were trading when you first started and how were you executing? Were you just calling orders in? Because I don't think there was any other way besides calling orders in in those days uh, to trade futures. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was uh, 
So this was the late 80s, early 90s, right when I started uh, actively trading. And so I had a small account. I think I started with like $5,000. And so I was trading pretty low margin instruments, things like I remember uh, it was live hogs at the time. Now it's lean hogs, but it was hogs. It was cattle maybe like wheat. I don't even know if I tried soybeans because they were kind of scary, volatile. Um, so it was those kind of markets. And basically, I was calling in the uh, the orders every day. And, you know, so you had to have the terminology down of uh, buy Christmas wheat. You couldn't say December because they might mishear it as September. So you had to say Christmas wheat and uh, do things like that. And then to actually get quotes, uh, since I was working full-time, I remember actually calling an 800 number, punching in the numbers to get the latest quote uh, if I wanted to check on things during the day. So it was it was uh, a world different than what it is now where you can just get prices instantly and place orders you know, at a click of a mouse. But uh, yeah, those were kind of interesting times back then. They certainly were. Now, let's talk about the strategies that you were trading back then when you were phoning orders in. What technicals were you looking at when you were trading? So when I started, uh, I think I really started at first looking at big chart patterns only because that was kind of the way I learned with the initial material. They said, oh, you know, look for head and shoulders patterns and the one, two, three pattern and, and those kind of things and trend lines. Um, but what I found is is a lot of those visual patterns, those big chart visual patterns were hard to quantify. You know, it was easy to go back and look at a chart and say, oh, yeah, that, that looks like a, a head and shoulders pattern. But to see it in real time and actually – make a trade with it was pretty difficult. So I kind of realized that was kind of tough. It was a little too subjective for me, but I realized things like moving averages or other indicators, uh, the RSI, the ADX, stochastics, those kind of things were all formulas where you only needed the past 10, 12, whatever days of data, and then you could calculate them. And to me, as a numbers type person, that appealed to me a lot more where I could take these indicators and calculate them and, and then they were more objective. It wasn't like looking at a chart and, you know, kind of seeing a pattern. It was, hey, no, this is what the, the indicator says. Go for it. Uh, you know, the problem with most indicators, though, I found is a lot of them are only right maybe 50% of the time, you know, there's not a, a lot of them don't have a whole lot of predictive value as far as the future. They, you know, and then they lag and there's all sorts of problems with them. Although I do, I do still use some of those today in systems, but from there, then I started looking at smaller patterns. So things like candlesticks or, simple like two or three bar patterns, you know, where, hey, maybe it's three consecutive closes going up uh, and they're all um, green bars, you know, 
maybe that's a good time to buy. So I started looking at programming those sort of things because those are a lot easier to program and, and they're not as subjective. So it's kind of been from where I started with the, the kind of fuzzy, you know, big charts, looking at those things and drawing on them to actually being able to quantify things. So a lot of what I test today and trade today, it, it's obviously it's got to be something you can quantify where, Hey, it's a, it's a yes or no. It's if all these things add up, let's say you have a few different indicators or patterns. Well, that's a good time to buy it. So that's your rule to buy. And, you know, maybe the opposite is to sell short. So it's kind of been a progression over the years of, of going from that fuzziness to something that's exact. And what's nice about that, it, it makes it easy to backtest these approaches and see how they would have done. You know, it's like they say, it's past performance is no guarantee of future results, but all things being equal, I like trading an approach that I know has worked historically uh, as opposed to one I know hasn't worked. So that's kind of my philosophy with that. During the times that you were calling orders in and you were basically throughout this time trying different indicators and basically building your strategy, your playbook, were you profitable? Um, it was kind of hit or miss. A lot of it. I mean, there'd be some years where I would do great and then other years uh, where I'd lose money. So, and truly in the beginning, uh, I'm not sure how many times I, I blew out uh, like a $5,000 account, but I know I did it a couple times. I know the first time I did it, I actually started out with $5,000. I was trading a, a moving average crossover, I think primarily with hogs and Pretty quickly, I lost probably about $1,500. And this is within the span of maybe a week or so. I don't really – I'm a little fuzzy on the memory of it. But what I remember is I lost a bunch of money. I panicked and I said, well, this system's not working. So I'm going to try the exact opposite. And so all my buy signals became sell short signals. And I started trading that. And that went good for a little while. And then – it hit a big trend in hogs, which uh, took me down to about $3,000 or $2,000. So basically, I lost like 60%, I think, of my account within uh, a few weeks. And then it took a while to build up the account again. I had to get money from outside sources. So, it, uh, yeah, those early years was a lot of hit or miss. And uh, – what I found that happened was I started to get more consistency and better results when I started to rely more on these system type approach traits or these algos. When I started to do that more, I started to have more success. Okay. So you went through that period of figuring out what indicators you liked. And then, as you said, you, you started to work your way more towards systems. And to me, it just sounds like systems just really fit your personality a lot more. You, you said early on, you know, you like numbers. And so you wanted to see the numbers of these strategies. Am I characterizing that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really do 
have to find something that you feel comfortable with. And for me, it was numbers. Uh, you know, so for example, I've tried discretionary trading and I could never handle it because it was always too abstract for me, you know, looking at a chart. Oh, I, I, this looks like a buy signal kind of thing. And, you know, I, I wouldn't trust myself and where with the algos, I was more likely to just follow them and, um, you know, believe what they said. So, yeah, it's definitely that's definitely a true statement. Hey, everybody, a quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics and data solutions. The Russell 2000 index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 index futures contract symbol R-T-Y. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com. Well, let's pick one of your systems and take us through the entire process of you developing one of your systems. Okay. Uh, I'll use this as an example, one I just created recently, and it's actually one uh, that I give away for people who sign up on my website. So, uh, it's for the mini S&P, and it's actually based on uh, a webinar that I watched with Art Collins, who I'm not sure if he's been on your show or not, but he is uh, a pretty well-known trader in Chicago. He's written four or five books. I think he's a commodity trading advisor. Anyways, uh, I've long admired his work. And so he had a webinar that he did where he uh, had a signal on the five-minute uh, ES chart, the mini S&P. So that's the idea that I took. And, and that's pretty typical of, of how I do things. I'll, find, I'll usually find an idea somewhere, whether it's in a book or out on the internet or something. I just find an idea. But then what I'll do is I'll take it and I'll go and modify it and make changes to it and try to change things around. So the tricky part about that is what you don't want to do when you're doing that sort of thing is to, you know, look at your whole data, historical database of data and test all your little uh, variations of an idea on that. Because what you're doing then is you're, you're in effect just kind of curve fitting. You keep trying stuff until something works on all the data. So what I do, and this is kind of the, the next step in the process, is I do a test on a, a small chunk of data. So I'll just take one to two years of market data at random, and I will play around with the, the strategy. And, and by play around, I mean try some different things, maybe try it with a stop loss or maybe a profit target, maybe both, maybe neither, maybe a break even stop, maybe a trailing stop, maybe add on to the entry and put some filters on it. So uh, you can do that on a limited piece of data without really worrying too much about overfitting because you're only dealing with part of your history. So during that phase, I, I kind of modified my strategy until I find something that meets some criteria I have that says, 
hey, this looks like it could be a good strategy. Doesn't say it is, you know, because I haven't tested it over all the data. It just says, hey, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's worth testing further. And then I kind of lock the strategy down so I know the rules. I know anything I'm going to optimize as far as variables. I try to keep that to a minimum. And then I tell myself I'm not going to make any changes. Now I'm going to do an advanced test over all the data, which is uh, I use walk forward testing, which is something that was popularized a while back by uh, Bob Pardo. And it's a neat way to get a lot of out of sample results for a strategy. Um, You know, because for example, if I took my strategy and just optimized it over all my data, it would be what's called in sample. And in sample is always too optimistic. You know, it's, it's almost never achievable in the real world because as soon as you get some new data, what was what the system was optimized for won't necessarily work anymore. But with walk forward testing, it's a way to get what's called out of sample data and out of sample results. So I run this test with walk forward testing and then I get what's an, what is an out of sample equity curve. And as long as that looks good. And again, I have some criteria for that. Then I, I move on and I do some uh, what's called Monte Carlo simulation. It's it's basically a random number type generator that will mix up all the trades that you had in your back test. And it will give you some statistics of, hey, what's your chance of getting wiped out if you trade this system? Or what's your chance of a certain drawdown or a certain return? And... I use those results to look at basically a risk-adjusted return. And uh, because I want to make sure, obviously, that the return I'm getting is appropriate for the risk or the drawdown that I could potentially take. So that's the the next step. And, and again, there's criteria at each of these steps. Uh, and if something fails, you just throw it away and move on to the next idea. Um, And then the the final one before you actually go live is to actually watch the strategy for a period of time in real time. So I'll create a strategy today, for example, and I'll document it and be done with it and then put it away for six months, let's say. And then six months from now, I'll come back to it and see how did it do these last six months? Did it continue its performance that it had during all my testing or did it fall apart? And that will help me decide if I really want to trade it. Um, Because no matter what you do, as far as trying to be careful with optimizing and not curve fitting, there's still a chance that's going to happen. Uh, and so doing this live test really helps eliminate some of those, uh, you know, duds, I guess is a good word for it. Those strategies that just fall apart as soon as uh, you go live. You know, unfortunately, that's also the, the hardest thing in the world to do is to spend a couple weeks developing a system and then put it aside instead of trading it. You know, everybody wants to trade it right away, you know. 
so that's kind of uh, a tough part of the process. But once you get through that, then the final thing is, okay, I've got a strategy. It looks good in my out of sample back test. It looks good in real time. Now I got to look, how does it fit in with my other strategies I'm trading? You know, is it correlated? So for example, going back to that ES strategy. So I'd, I'd take it and look at it relative to any other stock indice strategies I'm trading. And what's the correlation of those like, uh, you know, there's no point in trading, two strategies that are nearly identical, you probably just want to trade one of them um, you know, because your risk is basically going up if, if they're very highly correlated as far as results. But uh, assuming it fits in, then I look at, okay, well, position sizing and you start looking at that kind of thing and how to put it in a portfolio. And usually when I start out trading a new strategy, no matter what it is, I'll always start out with only one contract. So I start out really small and let it prove itself with real money before I even think of, you know, allocating more capital to it. Uh, and that that's kind of like a downside protection because even though I think I've taken steps to do things correctly, there's always a chance that strat- a strategy will fall apart. I mean, you know, that happens no matter what you do. And it happens to everybody that strategies eventually, you know, will stop working. I always plan on every strategy I have stopping uh, to perf- its per- good performance at some point in time. I just don't know when, but that kind of uh, gives you a flavor. So I, you know, just to summarize it real quick, you know, I took this idea that I found from someone else I modified it. I tested it on a little bit of data, said, yeah, maybe there's something. Then I did a more in-depth optimization walk-forward test. Then I did some random number simulation with it. And finally, I did uh, some real-time performance watching. And then it was ready to possibly go in a portfolio. I have to say what's what strikes me the most about everything you just said was that you didn't have the initial idea, the initial technical analysis idea for this strategy. But yet you went and took that idea and like you said, you you basically you personalized it in a sense. Yeah, and that's um you know, I think that's a, a lot of people have a hang up on ideas. Uh for strategies and they always think, Oh, I got to, I have to come up with some kind of, uh, you know, grand theory of the markets to, to do this. And the answer is you really don't have to do that. If you're developing your own strategy, there's ideas everywhere. Um, it's kind of what you do with them, you know? So for example, books, a lot of trading books have ideas. Uh, a lot of times they end up, they don't work, but you know, when you test them in real, you know, with up-to-date data, but you might still be able to take that core idea and then modify it and kind of do some things to it. Um, And that's really what you want to do is you have to come up with a lot of different things to test. Cause as, as I mentioned, you know, all those steps, there's actually quite a bit of fallout at each step. 
uh, you know, where the, the strategy just won't pass. And you end up testing maybe a few hundred different ideas, you know, combinations of code with different markets and different bar sizes. You might test a couple hundred things before you find something that even works. And uh, it gets very frustrating, but at the same time, you've got to have this stockpile of ideas. So kind of the thing I came up with is I call this uh, whole process a strategy factory uh, because I used to I used to be in charge of quality for uh, an aerospace company that made uh, fuel pumps. And so I was out on the factory floor a lot, you know, doing stuff and, and building a strategy is a lot like creating a product. You know, you have raw material coming in and then you take this raw material and you put it to work on machines. You know, you, you grind things and you hone them and, and do all these operations to it. And at the end of the day, you have a finished product or, if you've screwed it up, it's scrap and you throw it away. And it's the same thing with strategies. You have all your ideas. That's your raw material. You bring it into your factory. You do all your testing and analysis. Those are your machines. And then what leaves is either a finished strategy that you can trade or, more likely, it's scrap. It's a bad idea or it's an idea that just didn't work and you just throw it away. And when you start thinking of thing, the the whole process is is like a factory, uh, it it makes you realize that it's kind of uh, an ongoing process and it's sort of a volume process where you have to test a lot of things to find good strategies. Um, you know, most ideas are worthless, especially once you add in slippage and commissions, uh, you know, the real world, world trading costs. It's, it's interesting when you don't have those costs in there, a lot of things seem to work. And as soon as you put those costs in there, then almost nothing works. Funny how that works, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I actually went through that myself. I've been a discretionary trader my entire career and I've, over the last, I don't know, say six or seven years, I have put together some systems and looked at the back test. And like I said, this I'm a very novice when it comes to these automated systems. And and I was just putting some out, uh, some ideas out there, and I was looking at the back test. I'm like, oh, this looks pretty good. And then, like you said, you can't wait to put it live. And you know, I'm learning through this, right? So I'm putting a lot of them live and, and I look at the back test. And then when you go back and look at the back test versus what it did live, half the time I was breaking even and losing money, but the back test said that, uh, you know, I'd be making money because it was amazing to me that how many times I'd be on the bid or the offer of an entry and I would get it in the back test and you would never yeah. get it in live. And you're like, I can't be that right. You know, there's no way that's possible. And there's just so many different things you learn. And then, oh, and then look, it got really busy this one day and it traded a ton. And th that, those commissions, even though it did okay, chewed up the last two days. I mean, there's just so many factors. I think you, know, you really have to know how to back test. And I, I know I learned a lot for myself just you know, putting my ideas out there and just seeing it. And, and I like to learn by doing, I don't like losing money along the way, but I felt that was a really good 
thing for me to do. It really opened my eyes to how important the back testing was and a lot of the things that you mentioned today. And, and, and one thing that really sticks out to me as well with a lot of what you've been talking about is something I say all the time. Everything works sometimes. Nothing works all the time. It really comes down to the execution of it. Because for me, I look at my strategy that I trade, you know, I, I say I'm a discretionary trader, but I have a system in place to where it, it tells me what side of the market I want to be on. And then, you know, I, I trade around core positions. There's just things that I do discretionary uh, that, that I get the most out of my strategy because I've been trading for a long time. I understand myself. I understand my markets. I understand my strategy. So I'll know when to be bigger, smaller, or not at all. And I look at a lot of what you're doing. And, and like you said, it's like you have this idea for a strategy and that idea matters. But just like with anything else, it really just comes down to how you execute it. doesn't matter how good the idea is. All the ideas could sound good. Right. Absolutely. It's, uh, I always tell people whatever idea they have, it's a good idea because it's an idea. And until you test it, that's when you you know if it's good or bad because I'll have people email me and they say, oh, here's my idea for a, a trading system. What do you think? And I always reply. I say, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it might be a great idea. It might not. Test it. You got to test it and see and that will – will prove it. But, uh, you know, chances are it's probably not going to be good just because it's so hard to find things that are good. Um, and that's where a lot of people get tripped up with all the, the back testing and that kind of thing, because they, they think they have to make a back test look great and they'll do everything they can to make a better and better looking back test. And, that's not the whole point of the exercise. The point isn't to to make the back test look great. It's to really just test something to see it, if it's a decent looking system because that kind of system is more likely to, to work going forward. But unfortunately, the back tests that end up working more in real time also have some nasty drawdowns. Like you said, they don't work all the the systems don't work all the time, uh, and there's definitely pain you have to go with it uh, with any of any system. It's very rare to ever see a system that's just a, a straight line up. Uh, and frankly, I'd be scared to trade something like that because I I would wonder if it's just going to fall apart as soon as I start trading it live. Yeah, very similar almost to a chart. If it goes straight up, it could go straight down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody. I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a longstanding brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. I think that there's so many traders out there that are sitting at home trading discretionary you know feel that they have a good idea like we talked about they have a good system that they like and they just haven't really gotten it to work by trading it as a discretionary trader and probably want to make it into an automated uh, strategy you've been down this road you've done this 
And you mm-hmm. talked a lot about today about your criteria and things that, like you said, you can just take an idea and you could take it and you're going to look at it and you're going to decide whether or not it's going to work or not. And it can look great on paper for what somebody shows you in a webinar or whatever. But until you take it, you, Kevin, take it and put it through your test, you don't know if it's a good idea or not. Can you share with our listeners out there that have their idea sitting at home, what would be their first step and maybe all of their steps to trying to figure out a process to determining whether or not that strategy could be good enough for them to trade through automation? Okay. Um, you know, the first thing that they'd probably want to do is first have a belief in the whole idea. So, you know, if you're a discretionary trader and you believe that your discretion is what makes the difference, um, you're probably not going to have success with algo trading because what's going to end up happening is you're going to overrule any algos you come up with because you're going to say, hey, my discretion takes precedence because I know, uh, you know, I've been in the markets for all these years. I know what I'm doing kind of thing. And, and so one of the first things to be a, an algo trader is you have to let go. You have to be able to follow the rules that the algo says 100% of the time. A lot of people can't do that. And you know, if you can't, it's much better to know it up front and never try it than to think you can do it and just never be able to implement it. I mean, I've, I've heard lots of stories from people's people over the years that have said, uh, you know, I, I wrote this this algo strategy and I tried trading it, but then I got scared and I turned it off and it cost me money. And that's what a lot of discretionary traders do. So that's that's the first thing. You really got to believe in the whole idea and you got to kind of commit yourself to the idea. <clears throat> so once you do that, then you've obviously got to be able to program whatever ideas you have. Uh, and you know, my philosophy is if it can't be programmed, well, obviously then you can't put it in an algo and you can't test it. So it's gotta be things, only things you can program. You know, if you see, a, a doji bar today with a couple other things, um, and that's a sell signal today. Well, tomorrow, if you see the same thing, it better not be a buy signal because you heard, uh, Donald Trump talking about something. And so now that isn't really a sell signal. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be, you got to be consistent in your rules and you got to program that. And the nice thing is once you program it, it is consistent because the rules are the rules, but, uh, you've got to be able to program it. So luckily there's a ton of different, uh, ways to program uh, different trading platforms. Uh, What I recommend to people just starting out because they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not really that skilled in programming. What, what should I use? A lot of times I recommend people pick up uh, a a recent issue of technical analysis of stocks and commodities magazine. Uh, It's a great trading magazine, but what they do is at least with one article a month, they will have different platforms create code for it, for a, a system or an indicator or something, okay? And 
let's just say there's 10 different ones that do it on any given month, what you can do is you can go and look at the actual code and some of it's going to look like, what is this? This looks, you know, it's a foreign language to me. And some of it might actually be understandable where you can kind of understand it. And that's the, the cue I always tell people that maybe that's the language for you. If you can kind of read computer code and tell what's going on, it'll be a lot easier to learn that language as opposed to one that's, uh, you know, looks like Greek writing. So that's really the, the second step is you got to learn to program if you're going to do it. Um, you know, yeah, you could hire a programmer, but if you're hiring a programmer to test hundreds of ideas or program hundreds of ideas, that's going to get expensive really quick. I mean, the programmer will love it, but uh, you won't be so happy. Uh, so once you do that, then the next step is you've just got to go through a rigorous testing process, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, I described my way of doing it, but there's other successful traders out there who do things differently. The key is whatever you do, you've proven in real time that it works. And so maybe you don't do walk forward testing. Maybe you don't do any optimization or whatever you choose. As long as it works, then you know, hey, this this is working for me. This is what I'm going to keep developing systems. And then you just keep developing it. So the third key really obviously is in testing, but the I guess the characteristic I see people have who succeed in this are people who do not get easily frustrated um, because this is frustrating. I mean, I go sometimes months where I can't create a new strategy. Everything I try fails. It just won't pass my tests. But I kind of look at it as, well, hey, at least I didn't lose real money trading that, any of those failed ideas. It's almost like uh, Thomas Edison with the light bulb. You know, How many ideas did he try for different materials for filament until he finally found one that worked? Uh, I think it was thousands. Same way with strategies. You just got to, you try a bunch of things and then once in a while you find something that works. So it is, it does get frustrating and you really have to be able to handle that. Um, so, you know, for a discretionary trader, it's, it's quite a leap. Um, and I've had uh, s- both students and just people I've talked to who've tried to be in both worlds. To, to do their discretionary trading and also do some algos. And I'll tell you, that's pretty hard to do. It's hard to do both of them because it's a, a different mindset. Um, you know, and you know, as a discretionary trader, you're using your brain and your thoughts and taking in all this information to help you make decisions. And that's how you're trading. That's a whole lot different than pure algo trading, which is, hey, I'm going to let the algos decide when to buy and sell. You know, I just came up with the idea and the strategy to begin with, but I'm not making the day-to-day decisions. So it's, uh, and obviously then there's people who do both, you know, who do a little discretionary and their algos. So maybe they try to override algos. Um, 
you know, I don't personally do that because I, I, I'm sure I've tried it and it's just never worked. I've turned off systems at the wrong times and done that sort of thing. But, uh, that's a tricky way to go. But the whole thing going from discretionary to algo is not uh, very simple. Um, you know, it does take some skill. It takes some work and obviously takes, uh, you know, the biggest thing is to learn the programming of it. Yeah, I think for me, because that's all I can really speak about, is for someone who's been discretionary their entire career, what I have been looking to do, and I haven't spent too much time on it lately, but I know at some point I'm going to have the time to sit down and, and do this, is I have one trade that I really like that can be programmed. And I really am looking forward to being able to program that one trade, do my normal trading the way I do. Um, but I, I am someone who believes that for myself down the road, I'm trying to get more and more automated. So it's, you're right. It's very tough because you, you do have to let go. And as a discretionary trader, you used to control, but I think a lot of discretionary traders have a couple of looks that they really like that are basically on autopilot. At least for me, I know that that's how it's been for my career. Like there's just some looks I look at. I mean, unless there is a headline that day that's happening at that moment, I'm going to take that trade, you know, 99 out of 100 times. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the point to where I have that at least done. But what I've learned from you today is, is that when you get it and you have that trade, put it in, get it programmed, and then challenge it basically, right? Try it in different ways. Move the stops. Do different things with it um, and to see how it looks because, like you said, it's just an idea and until you see the back testing and, and how it's traded in the past and you, and you put forth all of the, the fees and the commissions and, and maybe trade it live a little bit of time, you have to play with it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, along those lines, one of the bad things about uh, – a discretionary trader trying this is when he goes, let's say you have a successful uh, setup or, or whatever that you've used for a while, and then you go and test it, and it turns out that it isn't profitable or it's not nearly as profitable as you had seen it. Then you start, it, it can actually mess up your discretionary trading because yeah. now you start to doubt, well, has that really been that good or was yeah. there something else? Um, and so I've, I've seen that happen. And so I've, I see a lot of discretionary traders who just take the, uh, uh, line that I can't test my strategy and some of it, you know, I can't program it because it, it's not uh, you know, too many things. It's not programmable kind of thing. And a lot of times that's, um, can be an excuse for not wanting to see reality. And so you have to be a little careful there with uh, you do it because sometimes, hey, the testing is what it is and it will tell you if it's good or not. But, you know, maybe what you're programming isn't really what you're doing. So um, there's obviously that kind of disconnect, too. Yeah, you know what? I could say that actually when I tried to program one of the strategies that I look at and I saw when I saw the data on it, I'm like, wow. Um, I've been making money with this, but yet it's it's not very good when it comes to on the automation side of things. And 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 did it 
maybe question me wanting to look at it or use it? No, because once again, I think when you're a discretionary trader, you know, I, I always, I always talk about this and it's really the mental edge versus statistical edge. I know that my overall strategy isn't great in, in the statistical edge side of things because if it was, I would just automate all of it and I wouldn't be a discretionary trader. My edge is really comes down to my mental edge, uh, is, is what works for me is that, I always look at my strengths and my weaknesses and my strengths are when it's doing well and I've seen conditions and things that match up, I really tend to take a lot more out of the market versus the times where things aren't working well for me. I tend just to give very little to the market and that's work for me. I mean, everybody's different, but yeah, but you're right. It, it, that could be a, 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 a challenge for some, for some traders out there. But Kevin, I got to tell you, this has been such a fun conversation very interesting conversation with you today we are not done yet i have rapid fire questions next so if you are ready for those uh sure all right everybody next up is our rapid fire segment sponsored by trading technologies trade the global markets with tt they're the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform now with integrated tools for advanced options trading cryptocurrencies and trade surveillance you can try it now for free at tryttnow.com Kevin, first question for you, what trader has influenced your life the most and why? Um, I would say rather than just one particular trader, it was probably all the traders in the uh, Market Wizards books. Uh, they were just a huge inspiration because what I'd see is a bunch of traders doing things differently and all succeeding. And so that kind of showed me trading successfully was possible and there was no one set way, which we've kind of talked about before. Uh, and so that was a big inspiration for me. What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in trading? Uh, it's definitely for the way I do trading, it's following the rules. It is sometimes so hard to just let systems go without intervening. Because um, I see sometimes my algos make signals and they go long and I think, oh man, they should be going short. Uh, so it's following the rules is tough. How has your trading process evolved over the years? Well, I've definitely gotten uh, a lot better at things just because I've made so many mistakes over the years and did so many things incorrectly. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was creating a development process that eliminated or at least minimized a lot of those mistakes. And by doing that, my trading got a lot better. What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have? It's really uh, perseverance, you know, just being able to stick with it. Trading's hard, and there's nothing worse than suffering through a long, prolonged drawdown uh, or just losing trade after losing trade. But you just got to persevere. A lot of people think trading's a sprint, but it's more like a marathon. And so you just got to keep pushing. Favorite book about trading? Uh, as I mentioned, Market Wizards, uh, definitely. And I also liked uh, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. That was a great book too. If you had to pick a profession other than trading, what would it be? I'd probably be in uh, some kind of financial planning or uh, doing some kind of like wealth advisory type role. What's the best piece of advice that you received about trading? Um, probably what we talked about earlier, Anthony, it's, it's really 
having a system or approach or strategies that fit your personality. And I learned that really from uh, Dr. Van Tharp, who was one of the market wizards, where you have to have congruence between what you're trading and what your personality is. Um, That's huge. If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice, what would it be? Um, Don't fall for the get-rich-quick idea behind any kind of investment or trading. It's hard work, and uh, yes, some people just kill it and knock it out of the park right away, but for most of us, it's it's a job. It's not get-rich-quick. If you had an elevator pitch me your edge in trading, what would you say? I would say I get edges to my strategies based on testing them in a methodical, structured way that eliminates a lot of the errors and mistakes that a lot of backtesting can produce. Last question for today. Favorite thing to do when you're not trading? Uh, It's really spending time with my kids and, and wife. Where can people find you on Twitter and give us a website to check out? Okay. On Twitter, I'm KJ Trading, and my website's kjtradingsystems.com. You can also find me on YouTube. Just uh, search for my name, Kevin Davey. And actually, if you uh, just search on Google for my name, too, uh, usually KJ Trading Systems is the first thing to pop up. Tell everybody what they'll see when they go and visit your website. Well, one, I, I give away a lot of stuff. Uh, so you, you get links to a, a lot of articles I've written and videos I've created. You can also get a, a free algo strategy on the mini S&P, the one I kind of described a little bit earlier. Uh, you just sign up for my email list, and then I invite you to free webinars. I, I try to do like one free trading webinar at least a month, and uh, I write articles pretty regularly. Uh, So there's a lot of resource information there where you can uh, just get a lot of information on algo trading and and trading in general, really. Kevin, this was so much fun. I learned a ton today. Thank you so much for joining me on Futures Radio Show. All right. Well, thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, you had a great time. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on FuturesRadioShow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.